Today on Blue 58, the Packers broke a four-game losing streak and took down the Rams. Was this just beating up a bad team, or did the Packers actually show improvement? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. Packers won. This game is good evidence, I think, of how narrow the gap is between good and bad in the NFL. Because I think the Packers played better today. I think they did. But would you say they were really good today? Or did they beat up on a team that was bad and in some ways even worse than the Packers are? Just for instance, Brett Rippon at quarterback sinks an already pretty lowly Rams team. They haven't been great so far this year. If even like Matthew Stafford at what, 85% is out there? We might be talking about a different game. And I think this game also shows how close a score like 20-3 to can actually be. Because until the Packers' second-to-last drive, it was 13-3, to even fairly late into the game, just 10-3 to and 7-3 to for a lot of it. it. It was a pretty tight game, tighter than I think the final score looks. But I think there is some reason for optimism. And before we get to the optimism portion of this, Or maybe the improvement portion of this. Let's call it that. I think we need to talk about one thing. We need to talk about the draft. Because there's going to be a lot of people, maybe not a lot, there's going to be some people who are going to be flat out disappointed with every Packers win because they want the Packers to pick as high in the draft as possible. For the record, I will never be disappointed in a Packers win. And I would encourage you to free yourself from that perspective as well. Because that's just needless stress in an already stressful season. This has not been the season I think even the Packers hope for. Even with maybe their appropriately low expectations for this team, and I think are fairly low expectations for the team overall too. But I would invite you to just not stress about where they are going to be picking in the draft. We can't control any of this. And the Packers are never going to listen to us anyway. So why get worked up over intentionally trying to lose games. They're going to draft who they're going to draft. And if they were going to tank, there were so many other things that they could have done prior to this game other than trading Rasul Douglas. They're going to win some games. They're going to lose some games. Let's just focus on trying to see what they do rather than what they should do. We can talk about what they should do, but they're not going to lose games on purpose. They're going to have an easy enough time losing games down the stretch here anyway because I think some much better teams are coming. Just try not to stress out about that part of it, if you can. From the improvement perspective, from the preseason perspective that we mentioned pregame, was there anything that improved today? I would say yes. There were three things that I really noticed. Creativity overall, I think, was better. They had some interesting pony looks. Uh, They had A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones out there on the field together, including, I believe, on the Luke Musgrave touchdown. I would have to look to be sure. May have just been some interesting action on that one. You had Jaden Reed running an end around. Uh, you had the Luke Musgrave touchdown just in general. That was a great play. Uh, the, from the design to the execution, it was, it was fantastic. And speaking of, execution was better today. It wasn't always there. The offsides plays were crazy. You had a couple other um, hiccups in there. Jordan Love maybe taking some sacks that he shouldn't have. We'll talk about that in a second. But you can't do the creative stuff if people aren't doing their jobs. 
The defense also showed some improvement getting their hands on the ball. 13 ball hawks, 13 plays on the ball. Season high, previous high was week was 11 in week one. And again, I would point out it's a lot easier for your defense to look good when you're playing against a quarterback who is not playing good. Justin Fields didn't have a particularly good day at the office in week one. Brett Rippon, not especially terrific today. Still, you can only play the guys you can play. They did well shutting down the guy they were playing today. I think we also saw some better accuracy from Jordan Love. If nothing else, the results were better than they've been in the past. 20 of 26 passing today, 6 on eight, uh, six of 8 on passes over 10 yards. I would be careful about calling that deep passing. Not quite. There was at least one deep shot that was. It still looked pretty floaty. Uh, but still, over 10 yards has been... It, it, you haven't seen a lot of it to this point in the season. And again, him getting on track there is a step in the right direction. And part of that is guys catching the ball. Guys are better with getting their hands on the ball and keeping their hands on the ball, I guess, more importantly today. So there's a two-for-one area of improvement there. Better accuracy from Jordan Love, better catching the ball from the guys he's throwing it to. So if the goal is to see improvement, I feel like the improvement was there today. Again, tempering that a little bit, the Rams are pretty self-evidently not quite there. They are not who they were when they won the Super Bowl a couple years back. But so what? As we say frequently on the show, you can only play the guys you play. The Packers can't go out there and schedule themselves a game against a better opponent to really see how much they've improved. We've seen plenty of the Packers playing down to bad opponents. Let me point out to you games against the Raiders and and the Saints and the Broncos. They've they've stunk it up against some teams that are not super great. They won one of those three games before, but it was never really a situation where they were in control like this against a bad team like we saw previously. And in control is doing a lot there. The Packers are it was a pretty putrid game a lot of the time in the first half. It was it was a struggle on both sides of the ball. And I mean both the Rams and the Packers. The Packers defense was doing what they could to keep the Rams grounded, I guess. But the Packers offense stuck in neutral for quite a bit of the first half, quite a bit of the first three quarters, really, outside of the the one touchdown drive that ended with the Aaron Jones touchdown. So not like a barn burner performance, but they beat a bad team, which is more than what we could say for where they were earlier in the season. Does that count as improvement? If you say it doesn't, okay, I'm not going to argue with you that much. But I think there were some things that were better this week than what we saw against the Vikings or the Broncos or the Raiders, even against the Lions, a a much better team than anybody the Packers have faced over the past month or so. I think if you want to be encouraged by that, I certainly wouldn't tell you not to be. Talk about some good things today. Aaron Jones, prior to today, on the season, and I know we are we have a little bit of an injury curve here, but prior to today, 39 touches on the year. Today, 24 touches. It wasn't like he was setting the world on fire. Didn't really have a, a notable big play on the ground or through the air. But he was involved, heavily involved, and doing enough to keep things moving. The Packers didn't get to a lot of second and long, third and long situations at When they did, they executed well enough to get themselves out of them. But a big part of that was just consistent execution from Aaron Jones and, to a lesser extent, A.J. Dillon, too. 
Also on offense, playing well, Dontavion Wicks. If the goal was to get him more involved, I think it worked. Four catches for 49 yards. Did have the weird fumble, to be sure. But hey, he looks like the most NFL-ready receiver the Packers have right now, and that's even accounting for Jaden Reed, who consistently seems to be their big play guy. You would prefer not to have your rookie, mostly slot guy, be your big play receiver, but he is, and he's making plays as consistently or more consistently than just about anyone else on the Packers' offense. Finally, the young defender showed up in a big way today. Again, the disclaimer that it comes against Brett Rippon in a fairly underwhelming offense on the Los Angeles side. But Carrington Valentine torqued up for this game, wouldn't you say? Every time the camera passes his way, just looks like he is about ready to jump out of his shoes. We had some early career Jair Alexander-type energy there. Just fully, full throttle. Start to finish in this game, active, and letting the opposing receivers hear about it too. Carl Brooks and Lucas Van Ness active together and doing things in tandem. Anthony Johnson making his first big play, the rare triple ball hawk play in which you have Jair Alexander getting a pass defensed and Anthony Johnson getting an interception and a pass defense because an interception counts as a PD too. So three-on-one play, not too shabby there, but he gets the uh, the first real big play of his career. And Colby Wooden, a nice play today too. A lot of young defenders making good plays for the Packers' defense in this game. Some not-so-good stuff too. we got to point out some negatives here. The penalties. Nothing makes you look inept as penalties killing drive. There's just nothing that is ever going to make you look worse as an offense than that. The offsides were one thing, but that wasn't all. You also had Jaden Reed uh, jumping a false start, bumping, inevitably sort of bumping back a field goal attempt that Anders Carlson ended up missing. You had a holding on Josh Myers that put the Packers in an and long situation. That sort of stuff just has to get cleaned up. It was so such a big problem for the Packers today. Sure, some of it seemed like a, a very, let's put it this way, they were, it was a very eager officiating crew today. Um, we were borderline ref show at times. I know that we all get excited to sit down and watch the refs on a Sunday afternoon. Well, they made sure to give us our money's worth. They were there to, to throw the, the yellow flags, and boy, we saw a lot of them today from the Packers. But some of them, legitimate calls. It can't all be just made-up stuff. The Packers put themselves in a hole frequently today. I would also point out that I think sacks were a problem for the Packers' offense. Jordan Love was sacked four times, and I think just watching it on TV, I would put at least three of them on him. One of them was late in the first half where he just held onto the ball forever. When you were getting toward field goal range, the number one thing you cannot do, I guess other than throwing an interception or fumbling the football, But the big, big no-no is taking a sack, and he took a very unnecessary sack that really put the Packers in a hole and uh, affected their play calling from there. There's another sack where he appeared to lose track of Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald making just a tremendous play, chasing Love down in the open field. Hats off to the Hall of Famer, I guess. And one where he seemed to just kind of run into pressure. It made it kind of ticky-tack as a sack. It's more of a rushing attempt at that point. But he ended up running into pressure in a way that he may not otherwise have had to had he been able to get the ball out on time. Now, there are two parts or even three parts to that story. Jordan Love taking the sack obviously is one of them. But if there's nobody to throw it to, he can't just throw the ball to a covered guy. And if he's trying to throw the ball away in that one where he held the the ball too long, 
there are certain things that he has to do to to make that a legal play as well. But you also have the offensive line um, playing a part in that as well. The, the I'm just trying to say that the sack numbers can reflect on them uh, in addition to that. So he might have to take a further look at that, but just taking sacks is a very young quarterback sort of thing to do. It's something that bears monitoring, I think, over the course of the second half of the season. Uh, I blame Zach Rappaport of the Unpack Pod on the Acme Packing Company feed for putting this thought in my head. He posited this week that the worst-case scenario is not actually coming out of this season with uh, not knowing what Jordan Love is. He suggested that the worst-case scenario would be Jordan Love just getting ruined by this season by people playing so badly around him that he just is irrevocably changed as a player so that you can't ever get a good idea of what he is. And I've been thinking about that ever since I listened to it a few days ago, and I I think he might be right. That would be the real tough situation. It's not that you don't know what love is. It's that you can't ever figure it out because he's just broken as a player. That would be the Packers' fault, by the way, I would say, for breaking him in that scenario. But that would be about the worst possible outcome because you've the idea is that you draft Jordan Love in 2020 and that you build around him so that it's a seamless takeover when when he's ready. That part has not been the case. It, it has not been a seamless takeover because the guys that you've been counting on to be good around him, David Bakhtiari's knee whatevered again. Aaron Jones has been hurt for most of this season. Your second-year receivers have not really come along that quickly. And the young guys have just been so slow to come along that Jordan Love's kind of out there on an island a lot of the time. That is a a trend worth watching. Uh, Maybe not a bad one, bad thing about this game, but I guess we we thank Zach for putting that one in our collective heads now that I've I've spread that intellectual contagion onto you. Finally, just injuries. Offensive line was in flux for a lot of today because of injuries. You had Yash Nyman out there, but then getting taken out for Rasheed Walker because Nyman had a back injury. John Runyon was in and out of the lineup. I don't I don't know what the best five is for the Packers right now. It probably include well, it definitely includes, I would say, Nyman and Runyon, but it's hard to figure out who your best five is to get a really good glimpse at the five that you want to have together if they just can't stay together. That's a key part of that that process, right? Is keeping those five together. Just can't get that today with the injuries to Nyman and Runyon. You also had Christian Watson getting banged up again right after making a good play. And, of course, Kenny Clark getting carted off with an injury as well. Probably one of two to three guys at this point the Packers could really not afford to lose. He might be the only guy, well, maybe Jair Alexander with the departure of Rasul Douglas. It's not a long list, I guess is my point. The guys the Packers could really not do without at this point. Clark seems to be one of them, especially given the vulnerabilities elsewhere on the, the defensive line. So... You can't be positive about everything. Those are three things I'm looking at after today. The big question, though, what does it mean? What does it all mean? In the grand scheme, very little. I think the Packers are still a a pretty flawed team. They're certainly not a great team, certainly not a team. I, I don't think that we could reasonably expect to go on a run. It's not impossible. Stranger things have happened. But they're still going to be a pretty flawed team regardless of how well they did against a Rams team, that is also not a particularly good team. But in the words of the office's Kevin Malone, it's just good to win one. Free yourself from the strategy talk for a time. 
yeah, in the grand scheme, it may be better for the Packers to get a high draft pick. But here's the thing. I am a fan, and so are you. I don't work for the Packers front office, and if I did, I would be trying to not worry about where I was picking in the draft at this point anyway. But I don't think we need to worry about the Packers winning or losing. Just try to enjoy the journey as it unfolds. That journey is going to take us to Pittsburgh next week. It's been almost exactly six years since the Packers played in Pittsburgh. Last time we took a trip to the Steel City, November 26th, 2017. Brett Hundley nearly led the Packers to an improbable win that day. A win next week gets the Packers to 4-5 and five within a game of 500 whatever that's worth to you. Let's talk about the Packers rookies. Lucas Van Nest look a, looked a little bit more active today. One tackle for loss, one quarterback hit, not too shabby for the rookie. Luke Musgrave, three catches for 51 yards and a touchdown, his first career touchdown, second 50-yard game, second game of 50 or more yards, put it that way, and the fifth time so far this season that he's had at least 30 yards in a game Robert Tunyon, the Packers' leading receiver at tight end last year, only had 30 or more yards in a game six times last year. Jaden Reed, again, probably the Packers' most consistent wide receiver right now, three catches for 21 yards, a 21-yard run. He did the gadget thing we asked for. Maybe uh, Matt LaFleur is listening to this podcast, in which case, if I have one suggestion for Matt LaFleur, I I don't know. I would probably blow that suggestion if I... Uh, I had the opportunity to make a suggestion like that. Just uh, throw the ball to Luke Musgrave more, I guess. Uh, Tucker Craft, no targets today. He's basically the Packers blocking tight end right now, which is fine. Uh, They've got enough moving parts in the passing game that trying to probably add him in there is, is maybe a little bit too much to ask. Colby Wooden, nice stack and shed for his only sack of the day. A short yardage situation, that might even have been on a fourth down, making the play when the Packers had to have one. Sean Clifford, a DNP today, that's okay. Uh, Dontavion Wicks, four catches for 49 yards, can't complain about that. Another solid outing from him, in addition to the weird fumble. I I can't recall ever having seen a play quite like that one, but uh, that's why you watch. You see something every so often that you haven't ever seen before. Carl Brooks, one tackle on the day, two passes defense, getting his hands up and active in the passing lane. That brings him to four passes defensed on the season. That is the same total as Jair Alexander. Anders Carlson, one for two on field goals, two for two on PATs today, a 48-yarder. That was very makeable, though weather conditions appeared to be suboptimal uh, in Lambeau Field today, so maybe a little bit of a pass there. Uh, But, um, hey, He's going to miss him now and then. And I think to this point in the season, he's been more consistent by far than it appeared that he was ever going to be in the preseason. Carrington Valentine, another mention of how great he was today, just very, it seemed like jazzed up to play. And he brought it today. Again, um, Brett Rippon was not making tons of plays for the Rams. I feel like a broken record saying that today. But the the Packers defensive backs were there to to counter him whenever possible. Anthony Johnson, first big playing time today, came up pretty strong, I thought. Credited as the starter today, prior to this afternoon, he had played just eight snaps on the season on defense. Malik Heath, here is a statistical nugget for you today. He had one target for no catches. That brings him to five targets on the year with zero catches for the the season. He is the only player in Packers history dating back to 1992 to have four or more targets in a season with no catches. Emmanuel Wilson, uh, 
four catches for 43 yards, four carries, excuse me, for 43 yards, including a 31-yard run that should have ended with him not going out of bounds. Still probably pretty excited to be in the open field in an NFL game. Got to get down and out of, and, and not run out of bounds when you're trying to run out the clock, though. Finally, Brenton Cox, inactive today for edge rusher day for the Packers. That probably means something. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but they didn't think that they would need Brenton Cox for today. Let's clear out the notebook. I think I've given you most of my nuggets for today, so here's five quick ones. Uniforms, pretty sharp-looking day, I, I have to say. Lots of yellow on the field in addition to the flags thrown by the officials, but overall no complaints. I would just love to see some yellow pants for the Rams. That would be kind of a fun look, but maybe not so much against the Packers. That would be a lot of yellow. In addition, I have to say, salute to service is kind of a, a sometimes a uniform disaster in the NFL. The stuff, the sideline gear at least today that they rolled out for this year looked pretty good to me. Surprised myself, but I thought everybody on the sideline looked pretty good. Speaking of uniform stuff, here's a tiny little granular nugget for you. Aaron Jones appears to have new post-touchdown shades, uh, ditching the old Macho Man Randy Savage ones for a different look today. Maybe he's had that one in the that look in the past, but I haven't noticed it before. Specifically noticed it today. Here's a more football-specific nugget for you. I was very excited to see Rashawn Gary standing up over center today. This is something I, I should have mentioned in the preview podcast, such as it was. But one thing I've really started to wonder about over the past couple of weeks is whether or not we would ever see Rashawn Gary as an interior rusher. That was something, obviously, that the Packers did a lot under Mike Pettin. Uh, Zadarius Smith very just fits that role so perfectly, fit that role so well. And they even bumped him or, or wanted to bump him inside under Joe Barry a little bit. We never really got to see that since his whole back issue happened during the 2021 season, Joe Barry's first year. Preston Smith has done that. Rashawn Gary used to rush from the inside a lot more under Mike Pettin. Today, we finally saw him running or rushing as a stand-up rusher over the center. That's been a bit of a, a micro trend around the league. You might have seen uh, Miles Garrett doing his basketball crossover approach for the Cleveland Browns. Micah Parsons has done it for the, the Dallas Cowboys a few times. Guys do it throughout the league. It just gives your center, the opposing center, so much to think about. Your interior offensive or your interior protections have to be so sharp in that situation. The quarterback, I mean, in addition to the strategic stuff, you just have to look right down the barrel of an elite pass rusher three feet away from you, which can't be fun. And then uh, you, you just have a lot of different things that it does for your your defense, allowing guys to work into their pass rush from a different place on the field. It changes the geography of your defense, put it that, or maybe even the geometry too. It just changes what you can do. And I, I think that was a nice development from Joe Barry going in a direction that we really haven't seen from him a lot before. I had the Packers today flipping back over to the offense at three of five in third and long. Dating back to the Nathaniel Hackett as offensive coordinator days, that is um, something I've tracked. He really liked the Packers to be in third and six or less. He said they considered third and seven or more a tough situation for their offense to be in. I think we would broadly agree with that, but that was the line where he drew it. So ever since then, I've tried to track it. I had the Packers on, on, on three of five today. Everything that was close to third and seven or so, third and seven, third and eight, 
I think they converted. So good day on the Packers digging out of the holes that they got into when they did get into them, and they didn't appear to be putting themselves in holes all that often. Finally, maybe I should have put this in the improvement section, but I thought it would be a good note to end on. If you're looking for something to be encouraged about coming out of this game, look at the Packers' last meaningful drive. The Packers took over with 8 minutes and 26 seconds left, up 13-3. to They ended that drive in the end zone with 3 minutes and 41 seconds left. In that drive, they take almost 5 minutes off the game clock, and they score a touchdown to go up two possessions. We've talked about this repeatedly on the podcast, dating back to the start, I think, of the Lafleur era. Under Aaron Rodgers, especially in 2020 or 2019, but specifically in 2020 and 2021, the Packers were just so good at this late in games. They would get the ball back with, or they would get the ball with five minutes left, six minutes left, seven minutes left, and just basically drown you. They would just hold you down and just keep getting first down after first down, bleeding clock, bleeding clock. Even if they were up a lot, it, you were never going to get a chance to come back because they were just going to take so much time off the clock. The Rams, not world beaters, but this it takes execution, it takes creativity, it takes everybody doing their job. If you're going to be encouraged about something coming out of this game, that is probably it. That's the perfect example of what the Packers can be, even where they are in this life cycle of a team. Jordan Love did his job on that drive. Christian Watson had a big play on that drive. Luke Musgrave scores the touchdown on a well-designed play involving Love uh, carrying out complex action in the backfield, the offensive line holding the protection long enough to give him that time, everybody getting to the right spot on the field, which has hardly been a given for the Packers to this point in the season. Just a lot, a lot of execution from the Packers on that drive and it ends with them going up two possessions to secure the win. That seems like a good capper to a a question as to whether or not the Packers can improve. Well, if you're looking for one piece of evidence that shows that they did, there's one drive for you that really shows what they, they are capable of doing. The next big step is doing that consistently. They may never get there. Some teams never do, but at least today... They showed that in a situation where they had a chance to really put a game away, they could do it, and they did it. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.